Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Bloombox Growing Deeper. And Sarah and I are here this time with Bob Henriksen who is in charge of our horticulture program here at the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. And we are so excited to talk about our garden fails. I think excited's the wrong word. (laughs) No, I am excited because I think this is something that we don't get to talk about a whole lot at NSA. People always want us to tell them how to do things, but they forget that the way we learned how to do things was by first failing. Yes. And I appreciate (laughs) failure. I am that person who I'm like, you don't know until you try. And if you fail, at least you tried. Sometimes it'll go well, but if you just stick with doing what you always did, then you will never know. So I think anybody who knows NSA knows who Bob is. He's our greenhouse manager. He grows all of our plants. He does everything. He knows everything. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny that we picked him for garden fails because I think most of you see Bob as the expert. Mm. And we did really want to show that garden is gardening's an experiment. And we've all learned, like Hannah said, we've all learned by trying things. And um, sometimes the more you know, the bigger of a mistake you can make because you get braver. Right. So um, <laughs> we're going to mostly keep this to the homeowner-sized mistakes, but I know <laughs> Bob's got a lot of experience. Tell us some of the gardens you've worked in. Yeah, I really cut my teeth here on UNL campus. I worked for Landscape Services, gosh, for seven-plus years, and then I went over to the statewide arboretum. Yeah, not the statewide arboretum. Before that, I went to the state fairgrounds, and worked there for another seven to eight years before I came here. So, yeah, I've been in public gardening, gosh, pretty much my whole, the you know, you could call it professional career. <laughs> I would call it a professional career, yes. Okay, That's very good. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah. So, you're right. You know, you, when I think of garden blunders um, and that, that trial and error thing, for me, I, I like to use the three strikes and you're out. So in other words, if I failed at something and I don't change what I did, uh, it's going to fail again, right? So whatever action I took in that that created that blunder, you know, do it different next time, right? And otherwise, it's going to be another blunder. Yeah, I think we should start by talking about what uh, is a garden fail, because just straight up killing a plant here and there on accident is not a garden fail. That's just normal. (laughs) So, Hannah, what do you consider a garden fail? Well, I would call a garden fail something that you really tried and you put a lot of work into, but maybe you didn't do your research first. So it's not super informed or you did and you thought "Mm, I think there's a better way (laughs) or if in my case an easier way I'm always like I think I I think there's a couple of steps you can skip Uh, and then a year later you're like should not have skipped those steps that didn't work out right (laughs) so that's how I would define a garden fail I like you said Sarah I think we all have those times where we accidentally like pull up a plant we've just planted while we're weeding or just the random plant fails that happens in gardening but i wouldn't call that a a A mini blunder 
There you go. <laughs> Mini blunder. <laughs> a whoops. Yeah, I expect like spot spraying. I've been guilty of that. It's like, you know, even with the best intentions and I'm spots trying to spray in between new plants that I put in, you know, and the weeds are getting out of control. And I go in there and try to spray in between those little plants, being as careful as I can. And inevitably, there's a whoopsie uh, accidentally hit that one. And so what I've done with that to change up that blunder is say, well, you know, for the most part, I'm going to hand pull those in between my babies. And, and if I'm in there, you know, not working three hours at a time, but more like 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, preventing the weeds from doing their thing, then I don't have to spot spray in between. And, and I avoid that, that mini blunder, if you will. So I try to hand pull as much as I can or break out a hoe or whatever, mulch, um, to prevent the weeds now, rather than spot spraying in between my babies. So you live and learn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Roundup can, you know, any anybody that's been out there spraying chemicals, uh, you know, we need to all think about using less, right? And uh, to me, it's pulling weeds is not that bad, you know, if you keep up on them, right? <laughs> so... You made me think of a garden fail that wasn't mine. Uh-oh. I can't remember who told the story. Maybe you told it to me or Justin told the story of going to visit a city park and seeing the footprint shaped dead spots in the grass oh, because yeah. somebody had been spraying probably in a landscape bed, walked through their own spray and then walked through the grass and they killed little you could footprints right. through the grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I don't think I've ever done that, but I have seen that where where it has happened mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think my biggest blunder with spraying was probably uh, buffalo grass. So when I worked uh, at, at the uh, city campus, we they found out I could I would, did a good job with buffalo grass. And the reason that was was trial and error. My blunder was I had a lot of cool season weeds, dandelions, other things growing in there with the buffalo grass. And the buffalo grass didn't green up till late in the year. Well, anyway, I wanted to spray it with uh, a broadleaf herbicide, right, which that doesn't kill grass, but it kills the broadleaf weeds. Well, I didn't read or ask or whatever. Nobody told me that for buffalo grass, it's much more sensitive. So... And then my boss tells me after the fact when all of my buffalo grass is burned and it looks like crud and my, my supervisor is saying, well, yeah, you got to do it at half the rate. And I'm like, well, now you tell me, <laughs> you know. And so after that happened to me and I had like in full view of all of my cohorts, my blunder, I'm never spraying buffalo grass again <laughs> is basically what I said. So my, my management then was like, just don't mow it and it'll choke out the weeds and I'll hand pull the darn things. And that works out great. So, should we get into our our fails? Sure. Okay, I'll start because, like I said, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah. My number one fail that I have experienced recently was a rock garden that wasn't a rock garden. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was putting in a rock garden. That's not how you do rock gardens. Mm. <laughs> what I learned, and I am scooping up lots of little river rock oh. right now getting it. I was like, what was I thinking? I don't know. I've seen rock gardens for some reason. I just didn't do my research. And then also thought like, just throw some rock in there. That makes it a rock garden. It does not <laughs> do your own research. And then I, and then it was impossible to weed. Uh-huh. Like it's so hard to weed. 
So that garden is pretty much getting completely redone. And it's in my hell strip, which is also already hot. So why I thought to put a rock garden there, I don't like I, I'm going to chalk that one up to a spring affair induced like I don't know what was happening. I thought it was going to be a cactus garden. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. So anyways, that's my number one um, that I'm battling right now. So are you saying then what was the blunder? The fact the, that... The, the blunder was that I basically mulched with river rock. Oh, okay. Instead of like what I've learned since. Right, rock gardens are about the drainage mm-hmm. that you can get there, and then you you like you still have quite a bit of soil, but you fill it in more like a crevice garden, I guess, is what it should be. I think that that is probably a more accurate term for a rock garden, and then putting those things throughout um, that fill in the soil, but that doesn't mean that you just have rock everywhere. So right. I do, I did do a couple of smart things where I did put in some of the larger, like you wouldn't call them boulders because you still got to fit that little hell strip space. So Mm, they're not huge, but larger rocks that plants are growing in between as part of that rock garden-esque type thing. So a couple of those went well. Like I have one set of hen and chicks that look so good mm. in between these different rocks. Cool. And I was like, that's what I was going for. And it worked in about one square foot. And then the rest <laughs> had to get redone. <laughs> well, you got your, you got your, now your, um, your signature site, right? Mm-hmm. To say, I, now I just need to kind of duplicate that as I go down. Yeah. So you're saying the mistake was that rock gardens involve all of the soil being rocky and dry. And you just threw rocks on the top. Which Hannah and I get a lot of push. I don't know if it's pushback. I get questioned a lot like, why are you guys so hard on river rock? That's one of the reasons why. Because river rock on top does not make a rock garden. It's all the stuff underneath. Yeah, it's 105 today. But in that garden bed, it's 120. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And, and, you know, building a rock garden, my blunder with that was... um, building the garden and then going to check out the book at the library. Because <laughs> the first thing they said, make sure you don't do a garden of rocks. You're doing a rock garden. And mine was just that. You know, I was a rock hound, loved collecting rocks, had lots of, you know, the glacial erratics, as they call them, those little boulders, as you were saying, the one to two footers. And I put them all in there, just kind of set them right on top of the ground. And it just didn't look right. It, it, it looked like it was forced. And then I read, oh, you want to bury that rock in that bigger rock where only maybe half of it is exposed up above and the other half is down below. And I was like, man, that's too much like work. <laughs> what if I just put the rocks on top of the ground and bring the soil up to grade and cover that third of that rock? And then I can get my well-drained soil, right? And then it becomes, well, what do I put in my soil, right? And it's like, oh, man, you know, I can't use compost because it's too rich for these rock garden plants. So... So yeah, a good mix, uh, you know, of of topsoil, um, gravel, sand, and one thing I read was actually leaf litter is what this one dude said is the best thing. And leaf litter is that, you know, when you have your leaves left over from last fall, you can go in there in your compost bin and you grab a handful of leaves and they just crumble in your hands. That's more or less litter. So you're adding that to your mix, and then that the plant roots will kind of 
uh, adhere to that litter along with it. So it'll kind of do a slow feed rather than a finished compost, which is a fast feed. Things can get leggy and blah, blah, blah. And then I figured out that was too much work. And I'm like, why not just use old potting mix? So that's what I mix in my rock garden soil now. Hey, there's our answer. For all of the apartment gardeners that don't know how to get rid of their potting mix, you uh-huh. just need to find someone who wants to build a rock garden. Right, yeah. Send it my way. <laughs> I will take your used potting mix because there's other uses for it too. Yeah. Okay, tell us about those real quick. I know it's off topic, oh, the other, but the we've other been uses? asked about that quite a few times. Oh, yeah. My favorite use for it when I'm when I'm taking out last year's soil, I mean, I can, you can store it somewhere and save it, right? But usually for me, it's when I'm during salad season, when I'm putting, sowing my lettuce, my arugula, my kale, my early season things, which is usually around, what, mid-April. And I'm like, when I, when I build my uh, rows and make my rows, it became annoying to me trying to cover the seed with that soil, especially if your soil's not really fine, it's kind of chunky. How do you cover a little baby seed and say, oh, only cover with a quarter inch of soil? And you're like, how the heck do you measure that when it's kind of chunky? So I, I got the idea, well, I'll just use my old potty mix. So I'll just grab a handful and sift it in between my hands going down that row and it just, just cover that furrow, if you will, and then, um, and then water it, right? And I found that fine, uh, it's not even soil, right? That fine, that fine mix, uh, it, it, it's able to come up through that really easy. I don't have to worry about um, filling it too deep because it'll still come through. And it's a good use for that extra potting mix. And what's funny is a longtime mentor of mine, Lucinda Mays, out at Shadron State, I had her on a radio show, and she was talking about growing vegetables from seeds. She was talking about how she makes the rows and how she uses old potting mix to fill things. And I'm like, I'm like going, yes, awesome. Lucinda does the same thing. Then I knew I was on track, right? And so, yeah, it's a great use for your old potting mix. That is so smart. I mean, it's the same as in the greenhouse when we put vermiculite on top of seed flats. That's a little fluffier, less likely to create that crust that that you get. The only downfall of it is you do have to be on top of watering it because it's a soilless mix. Honestly, before I go to work in the morning, it's a quick one minute, you know, sweep with my watering wand. And then when I get home from work. every day. Yeah, every day, day, twice a day. And, and being on top of that and doing that, you get great germination. And, you know, once your lettuce or arugula germinates, you know, it's, it's easy. And then I'll put straw in between those rows once it germinates and gets a little bigger. Let's move on to the next. I'm going to go with Bob's word, blunder. That sounds nicer than fail. I'm going with blunder. Okay. Uh, most of my garden blunders have come from attempting to build things mm. like raised beds uh. or alternate planting sites Uh because I did a lot of a lot of my gardening experiences come from college, and in college you're renting your house, so you can't just dig up all their grass, even though it may not really be grass in a rental house. Um, and we tried to build some raised beds one time, and when I say we tried, I mean it was my idea. Uh, my husband, my boyfriend at the time, built them, um, and. I did not do any research. I mean, none. I did no research. I knew I wanted raised beds. <laughs> uh, they warped. They flopped. We filled them 100% with compost. Ooh. 
because it was free and ah. we had no money. <laughs> uh, it all sunk. It was way too rich for the plants. It was did not drain at all. Um, the first year, everything actually did really well. Hmm. <clears throat> before the before things started warping and. Um, I don't know how it went well the first year, not the next, but we got a whole bunch of peppers. We got a bunch of zucchinis. Uh, I had a mountainous lemon balm plant. And then progressively after that, things just, our peppers rotted. Hmm. Or the zucchini, but or the squash bugs found our zucchini. And then they just slowly started flopping outward until I... I really, I don't know what happened to them. Eventually, he moved out of that house. What's bad with that is then you can't take it back. You got this big monstrosity staring at you going, so what are you going to do about me now, Sarah? It's like, I just want you to go away. Thank goodness for college (laughs) rental houses. It got donated to the landlord. You know, I'm curious, does that cause you, whenever you see raised beds, to kind of cringe now? Like, if you see a, you know, we all see them and they get used a lot. Um. If they're done right, I'm like, oh, man, they did their research. Mm. No, I'm happy for people okay. who it worked out for. Okay. I just, it makes me laugh sometimes. I'm like, oh, look, they read the book before they started right. working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was in too big of a hurry and yeah. decided some free plywood and some free compost would build a raised oh, bed. Oh, boy. <laughs> plywood. <laughs> yes. That's my favorite. Yeah, right? oh, oh, my no. gosh. I mean, I think... All raised beds. I mean, raised beds have a lifespan. Mm-hmm. You know, that no matter how, unless you're building a, I don't know, out of indestructible materials. It they, should be more than two years. Though. It should be more than two years. <laughs> yeah. One of my raised beds is re- reaching the end of its lifespan. And it does get frustrated when you're like, oh, now I'm going to have to replace some of these, you know, whatever you used for the sides. In my case, I used actually um, fence uh, like dog-eared fence, oh, fencing, really? not posts. I can't uh-huh. think of the right word right now. Anyways, um, cedar ones because that lasts a little bit longer. And then also they're less expensive and they're already cut. So if you want to do four foot or six foot, you can just plop them right in there. You, I mean, you got to get the, the other parts that you can then screw or nail them to depending on what fastener you want to use I guess um but I ran into some of the same problems as you Sarah where I I kind of like tried to level them and that didn't go well and then I realized like they don't really need to be level it doesn't matter I tried to like make the ground level before I put it on the ground that doesn't matter why did I do that? That was so much extra work. <laughs> no idea. But um, yeah, they're eventually they have to get replaced anyways. I find them useful for my vegetables. But yeah, it is time now that I'm going to have to redo one of them. And I'm like, where am I going to put all of the current soil that is good soil in it while I redo the sides? I I don't know. It's a, it's a project that I am not um, excited to take on yeah and that's one of the reasons you know me and raised beds go way back you know i inherited some and then the sides needed to be replaced and that was a lot of work and i was like going you know i'm done with the the wood-based raised beds so i just have basically it's raised but then it just slopes down to the original grade right where you just kind of like have a raised mound if you will right because i remember seeing pictures going 
Well, heck, these people don't have wood around their raised bed. They just have a slope. You have a really nicely terraced backyard, too, don't you? I'm right. thinking of pictures of your vegetable garden, and you've got kind of like, is it railroad ties? Yeah, railroad ties. Yeah. You know, and that, that yeah, that was done years ago because the slope was, I mean, we're talking a four-foot grade, yeah, so I couldn't just, you know, yeah. have that. So I built a, a three-tiered raised bed, and I used old ties, you know, and, and creosote was a concern of mine because I was going to have vegetables in there. And so I asked an old extension agent uh, that we used to be at work, UNL, and he said as long as it's old ties and you can't visibly see the creosote, uh, like oozing out or still present or smell it or whatever and use lots of compost, the compost will tie up that creosote. And, uh, you know, all these years later, I've never been concerned about, you know, creosote getting into my food supply. I yeah, because I see a lot of railroad tie beds and mm-hmm. um, they are really long lasting and sturdy. Mm-hmm. I always think the metal ones look good, like uh, people who just use like a water tank or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks like a really smart idea because it's not going to rot. I wonder if it gets hot. Yeah, I don't but know. But I don't know. And then drainage too. Yeah, I guess I would, you poke some holes in yeah, it. Yeah, would be yeah. an issue. But no, I, I like that three-tiered raised bed. It's uh, One thing I'll say about raised beds, though, they do dry out faster than the surrounding soil and, and watering becomes... Not if you fill them with compost. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Then she never dries out. <laughs> it's like a soupy mess in there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I would say for me, my, my biggest blunder is, is either introducing something that, that became a weed. Uh, in my case... I mean, it cost me a bunch of beds. I had access to some free hay and a lot of it. So, man, I'm mulching around all my plants, putting this hay down nice and thick and feeling good about the free mulch I got. And I love using straw, but hay was kind of something I hadn't done. And we all know the difference between hay and straw, right? but, But hay, hmm, of course it had brome in it. It had smooth brome. It had downy brome. And it had uh, bindweed. Uh, You're making Hannah sick. Right? (laughs) It basically cost me my display beds up here uh, at the state where I read them. And I I just ran into a fella. He said, what happened to your display beds up there? And well, (laughs) my blunder was I moved in straw. And then all that smooth brome, I tried to control it. Well, it would wrap itself around each plant. And so I just had to throw my hands in the air and say, either you start over, spray everything, and that was just a real, real mistake. And pretty soon those display beds will be covered by a brand new sparkly greenhouse, That's right. so you won't have to worry about <laughs> exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Say bindweed, kiss you goodbye. See if it can grow through a couple feet of concrete. Right. <laughs> but it you probably know, can. But, you know, one thing I I was hoping you talk about, like a blunder can lead to um, um, what to do different the next time. Right. And so I learned about this thing called solarization. And so the thing is, before you put in a bed, take care of those nasty weeds first Um, is the biggest mistake I've learned over the years. It's like I remember this one guy going and it's like, well, you got a lot of bindweed in there and it's a nice you know, didn't you get rid of that before you planted? And I was like, well, I sprayed it once. He goes, oh, that is going to get rid of bindweed. It'll come right back. And I'm like, well, but but now I've got it in amongst my plants, and I'm a slave to that bindweed for the rest of my days trying to get rid of it because people always say, how do you get rid of bindweed? Well, <laughs> pull it, 
right? I mean, you can try to spray it, but if it's in amongst your plants, that's easier said than done, right? Yeah, we so. we talked about that quite a bit during our um, bed prep episode. Cool. Yeah, but I, I get those questions too. We were at East Campus Discovery Days a few weeks ago, and someone asked me, well, how do I, I like my weeds are out of control in my garden, but my husband insists on tilling. And I was like, well, there's your problem. Like you stir in the pot you're, yeah you're stirring <laughs> up your seed bank every time you do that yeah. um so yeah there's there's always room for improvement when you're putting in new garden beds yeah. i think what i'm hearing here with our blunders is that we all wish we had read just a little bit more before right. we started a new project yeah. which i know how hard that is because especially in nebraska when you have what maybe four months of good really good garden time like you get those edge times where it might be a little cold maybe you can't start as early some years so once you've decided i'm gonna do this project as soon as you can you want to get out there do it so you can enjoy it so it's really hard to want to sit down and go i guess i'll read one more thing about this right or, you know, a blunder could be bringing in soil from another location, right? It's like, oh, I got all this free dirt. And then that dirt came full of weed seed, you know? And it's like, oh, man, I never did have bindweed. <laughs> now I do. You know, I'm fortunate at home, very little bindweed in my whole property. And uh, that's no, I mean, I didn't try to do it. I just made sure I didn't introduce it in by bringing in foreign soil, you know? It was always either stuff I made or whatever moving it from somewhere else at, at, at the home place so yeah i think that's a that's a huge thing right there you know and then another one for me was the old dreaded garlic chives and i think everybody if you have garlic chives you know what i'm talking about with garlic chives whoopsie don't let it go to seed and uh, then you'll be battling it forever uh because they don't pull Maybe you could outcompete it with some spearmint. Right. <laughs> I absolutely did outcompete my garlic chives with some spearmint. Wow. That, I that you're so That's true, so Sarah, because I planted both at the same time and I let the garlic chives go to seed. They have never come back. My mint is uncontrollable. <laughs> I am uh, very strict that mint not only stays in a pot, but it's in the middle of our patio. Because luckily also at a rental house where I got to move on with my life, I had mint and I did properly put it in a pot, just like someone told me, but it's a little too close to the soil. And so it like grew over the pot, rooted in and took off. Yeah, it found a way. My other blunder was... um, when I was in college, I got my first job at a nursery and was so excited to be surrounded by all these plants. My friends would come visit me and we'd buy plants. And of course, we all lived in collectively about two different houses. So they all got planted together. Um, and we found this beautiful vine that said it'd be really fast growing and cover a trellis in little mm. to no time with some nice orange flowers. Yeah. <laughs> we all know the vine she's talking about. Yeah. Trumpet vine. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that thing, I think a few years ago, we drove past the house they got planted at and it's just like coming up everywhere in the yard. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if you want something that is going to 
look pretty, but cover everything and you'll never have to worry about it or do anything. That's your vine. Right. I mean, (laughs) I guess that's your number one low maintenance gardening tip. Plant that vine. You'll be. Oh, my word. I mean, you got to take care of your house because it'll crawl up your house and over your windows and everything. Plants a trip. Yeah. And people what usually what what gets people is like, what do you have that attracts hummingbirds? And and they love to throw that trumpet vine at you uh, because it does, yeah. I mean, it's not technically a nauseous weed, but I don't know how you can still sell it. Right. I have seen a few like out on the farmstead climbing up an unused windmill can be kind of pretty because a windmill's big enough for the thing to cover and it's got space to go so it kind of stays there. But if don't put it anywhere near your house. <laughs> My parents did have it on the pergola we had um, when we were kids. That pergola was built on top of a cement slab or paved, I think it's cement. And then we they built, like, I think they were cinder block um, kind of beds around each, um, what would that be, post. Okay. Uh, so each corner post got one. And then they planted the trumpet vine there. Um. And it went up that pergola great. And it was nice because even early in the season, you would be shaded because it doesn't take very long to get up there. Um, but I don't remember us having as many problems. So I think when it's like isolated like that and can't get across then it'll be fine but you do really have to be careful i know people like plant it on their fences right to to make their chain link fence or something look prettier and that's where you're gonna run into issues no doubt and you know i'm glad you brought that up because that's where i like doing a drive-by and i see somebody's trumpet vine gorgeous specimen climbing up this pole or whatever it was and it was like within their driveway so it's just like you said it was like a two-foot circle of of soil in the mix of the concrete right so they basically created this planting hole Mm -hmm. in their concrete driveway with the pole coming out of it and that's where the trumpet or the trumpet vine look great i mean from what i've seen it it's a root grower it's not like the viney part is going to touch the ground and root in which was my mint problem (laughs) this is just its roots can spread and so if you contain it in concrete then it can't go anywhere and it did provide wonderful shade we had built like a we'd used a piece of lattice for it to climb and then one um, to cover the table that we ate outside at and Mm -hmm. it did a great job of providing shade you can almost put wisteria in that category too i've heard from people wisteria being uh, just a little too rambunctious you know, I remember helping out a friend. He's like, how do I get rid of this vine? So I come to his place and he's got, he wanted to redo his backyard or something. And uh, so he was a concrete guy, right? Nothing to do with plants. So I would give him some advice. So I go over to his place and on the corner of his house, oh no, it's a trumpet vine. Great. Well, when we cut this thing back and eliminate it, here's the problems you're going to see. So he calls me literally like two weeks later and says, Bob, that vine is coming up all over in my yard. It's like one foot tall vines all over the yard, right? And I can't remember why he had to reseed the yard, but he got his bobcat out and peeled off all the soil. And he told me what it looked like underneath that sod. He said it was like a, 
a tangle of roots like you couldn't imagine. It was like a carpet of roots, just like we were talking about. Well, how many of us can pull up the, the lawn and say, oh, that's what it looks like underneath. Well, he, I wish I'd have went over and took a picture. He had the two worst plants for suckering. So in the middle of his yard, he had a sumac. And the sumac was surrounded by turf. But once he peeled back all that grass, I can't remember why he did that. But bottom line is he exposed the roots and showed it. And like I told him, I said, well, just keep mowing it, you know, and eventually they'll give up. And, you know, did they did. Yeah, it worked. I but. mean, that's what you see from those is those roots were there mostly staying quiet. But right. once you cut the main plant off, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to exactly. die. Yep. We saw our neighbors do that. Um, they had an arborist come in and take down a honey locust tree. Mm. And I do the tree did need to come down. It was a hazard. But they didn't kill it first. They took it down live. Their whole front yard. Yes. I mean, we're in a forest. an old part of town, so <laughs> they are small lots. Their entire lot is a forest of two-foot-tall mm, honey locusts now. My word. And they, they whacked them down, and they came right back up. Kentucky Coffee Tree will do the same thing. That reminds me, Sarah, just seeing this guy just driving by one of those yards, just what you were saying, honey locust must have came down, and I saw, like, just hundreds of, of honey locust sprouts in this person's yard. Two or three days later, I see somebody out there with, like, this sickle bar thing. He was basically, he didn't look like he was very happy, like swinging at those things, like cutting them in half. And I wanted to stop so bad and go, dude, you know, I don't know if you're, that this is a workout to you or what, but you're going to be back doing this ain't going to help. They're going to be back laughing at you. Yeah. So what do you do in that case? Right. Smother them. I don't know. Fire. Fire. <laughs> Torch them. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at that. I'm not an expert on taking trees down, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. I was looking at that going, if they had killed the tree first, would it have done that? Hmm. Like, I think it probably would have. You think it still would yeah, have? Yeah, because they would have just yeah. killed that top appendage. True. I mean, wh and how would they have killed it in the first I place? Well, I was thinking just wringing it and letting it die, but they probably, mm. I mean, in town, I guess, that just makes even more of a hazard tree, doesn't it? Yeah. Especially over the street next to the courthouse. But no, you're right. Those sprouts, <laughs> those sprouts wouldn't have shown up had the had the the, the mother plant died, right? Yeah. And that's what happens. It's, it's the the tree's response to going, "Hey, man, I'm just trying to survive here," and it'll send up you know sucker sprouts from the roots. And, and you know, there's a number of plants that do that. It's they're smart. They know what they're doing. But to us humans, it's like, <laughs> oh boy, error, error. <laughs> The other fail that I have, and I'm going to stick with fail because I like saying that there's failures. Anyways, um, but the other fail that I have run into, and I find that I do it consistently, and I'm trying to get better at this, is I always put, I, when I put in a new garden and it's growing, and then all of a sudden I go, this is missing something. And then usually I come to you, Bob, and I say, I need some more plants just to fill in. And you say, what grasses do you have? And I go, oh, yeah, I forgot about grasses again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's when I have to remember when I'm doing my garden plans at the beginning to think about grass because especially the way that we garden with natives and, and mostly prairie plants those are very important parts it is and why would you say that though why would why would you say that grass is important 
Well, the main thing is because it kind of helps fill in the void, definitely. Um, and then also it just look it looks nice year right. round then. It creates a sense of place. Oh, oh. I like that. You know, and the, you're right. The grasses in between those wildflowers, because the wildflowers, you know, the, the, sometimes they don't bloom as long as we want, right? What perennial does, you know, and most of them are two to three weeks if you're lucky. And and so once they're done blooming, you kind of have this coarse textured plant out in your garden. And then that putting that fine texture of a grass next to the coarse texture of a purple cone flower when the purple cone flower is doing its thing nobody cares right but when it's done and it's like you just got this lump in the garden that fine texture against it uh really i think our eye likes that right and then the grasses also help keep the weeds at bay and between your plants and sometimes those weeds can be the actual flowers you planted where they like open ground so i'm like hey i'm gonna seed in between and now you're gonna have a whole lot of me rather than just a few of me and maybe that's not a bad thing but yeah grasses are really i mean man they they make a huge difference in a prairie style garden we get asked that a lot because i've stubbornly um from its beginning uh, when Rachel was here selecting plants, she said everyone's going to have a grass. And I have stubbornly stuck to that even when people are like telling me they don't like grasses or they don't want grasses. Even if they're allergic to grasses, we can go for sedges. Uh-huh. Is that every habitat garden is going to have one species of grass. And partly I do that because Bloombox is is a habitat garden and habitat is more than food. It's also shelter. Right. And our grasses are the shelter. But every native plant, even non-native flower gardens that I see without a grass, you just keep walking by it and you're like, it's real pretty, but it's not quite done. It's missing something. It's missing something. And especially if you see those gardens in the fall, you'll you'll really think they're missing something. Amen. Grasses just finish it off. Yeah. And I think, especially here, there's something that they establish so quickly when I put in a new Bloombox-esque, is what I'll call it, garden, um, you know, those perennials, they take a season or sometimes two, especially if you're looking at something like Baptisia, to really get established and looking good. But the grasses, I have some grasses that I planted in the spring that I are perfect already. You know, we're three months in right. and they're looking great. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the grasses are fast, meaning you don't have to go buy a gallon grass, you know. And and I remember the nursery trade was saying, we're shifting to three and five gallon grasses because, the, yeah, this was a, a person telling me this because our clients you guys want. guys can't see inst- my face. I was <laughs> in shock. Their clients wanted instant, instant landscape, oh you see. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like going, a three gallon grass, dude, you're wasting your time. What were they paying for those? Right? I, I didn't want to know that part. Well, he's not in business anymore, just to let you know, <laughs> but it didn't quite work out. But but anyway, those little plugs, those little tiny guys, will, will, yeah, that's amazing how fast they grow. I've got big blue stem in my bloom box garden. Um, not everybody gets it because it is big, but uh, man, I love big blue stem. And I planted it as three inch plants at the end of June last summer. And they are eight feet tall and blooming happy. It's actually kind of funny because... I've got three in a row and they get 
progressively like an hour less of sun each. Oh, and wow. so there are these little stair step of grass. <laughs> really? It's really cute. But they're full. Uh, maybe they're not their full clump size that they're going to be. But we planted some gallon grasses outside the same fence. So same sun. Um, actually earlier last spring. So they got a two and a half month head start. And those things are slightly bigger than they were last year. Interesting. And they were sold to us as a very fast establishing grass. Right. And I'm about to dig them up and chuck them and put in more big blue stem. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. And I've, I've seen plenty of, of uh, fails where people have put in one gallon grasses and then missed a watering like oh shoot i should have went over there it's 98 today uh, i should go water those oh, i'll do it tomorrow and then you go and, and they're all burned up and you're like going what the heck these were gallon plants versus this little plug and i've learned over the years those little plugs are less likely to die from a lack of watering than a one gallon or a three gallon pot will ever be and so they establish quicker uh, for that reason you save money and less water to get them established all of the above it's it's a it's a win-win yeah i want to go back to plant selection mm -hmm. for a minute um because the gardeners who've been with us in bloombox since 2016 well no we made kind of a shift um as we got better at designing with native plants for the home garden we've nsa has been using native plants for years in pretty large landscapes but it was a little bit of a shift to garden in in 100 or 200 square foot home landscapes and those plants that you talked about they're great plants love them perfect for habitat each one is beautiful but they know how to take advantage of open space. Mm -hmm. And uh, we definitely had to move away from some species that, like Rudbeckia, um, remind me which one is the cedar. I mean, they're both pretty good cedars. But yeah, the, yeah the, the annual, the yeah. uh, uh, black-eyed, annual black-eyed Susan. No, it's not no? even an annual. It's a perennial. Oh. Um, I think it's a uh, Hirda. It showy showy black-eyed black Susan. Yeah. That stuff, I mean, there, you can just look at some of these gardens and there's almost nothing else left because wow. those plants will take any open space. Right. And they're beautiful. Who doesn't love Black-Eyed Susan? Right. And who doesn't uh, understand how important they are for insects? But we aren't here to plant a monoculture garden. And so uh, we had to back off from some mistakes and give people some instructions on how to make sure they never get a chance to go to seed you don't have to dig up all your plants but we've got to get the seed heads out of there before they uh, mature and and reclaim their gardens yes <laughs> yeah and, and and that's not the only one that'll take advantage of that open ground and uh, become a become a problem for you or just dominate and, and do its thing, you know, even purple coneflower will do that, right? Um, a lot of people's favorites. And I think I, you can look at those failures, though, as opportunities to say, what can we do? Because Black-Eyed Susan deserves a place in the landscape, right? I'm like going, how, how do we, because you can drive around now. I mean, it was such a, that's so 80s. Everybody was planting Black-Eyed Susans back in the 80s and the 90s. And now I can drive around town and you don't see hardly any of them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they, that caused that was uh, they were getting hit by sprinkler systems and they were getting a foliar disease because of that, getting the leaves were getting wet every, three times a week. 
this disease showed up on the foliage, knocked them out, and none of the nurseries started using them. They, they, they quit using them uh, because of that. And now you don't see black-eyed Susan in hardly any landscapes. I've had pretty good success um, in, I've mostly used these in our larger, in like our plant grant gardens, but I try to keep the black-eyed Susan in with a lot of clumpy grasses. Yes. So that um, we can have that, well, one, that's a really pretty look to have like little blue stem turning red with your yellow black-eyed Susans. But those clump grasses aren't going to give up their space. And black-eyed Susan's not, um, it's not a bully. It just will use any open ground you give it. So. You get the real good clumpy plants, and they can't bully them out. Amen. I like to tell people I call it planted in between a rock and a hard place. Well, that rock could be a clump of switchgrass, right? And the hard place could be some little blue stem. You know, it doesn't have to be your driveway and the foundation of your house, but it could be, right? That's where your spearmint, spearmint's got to go, right? <laughs> that is where my mint is, oh. actually. Yeah, you, so it's okay. Yeah, like, yeah. I let it kind of go. Do your thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. But you also know that you're not getting outside of that space, buddy. You're, you know, that's it. That's where you go. I remember putting mint in, like, I had these stair steps that I made in that three-tiered garden off to the side of it that was kind of like a shortcut. I didn't make actual steps out of it, but I could cut through that area to get back to my compost, and I didn't have to go all the way around up my real steps. So I'm like, what am I going to plant in between my railroad ties? I'll just put a mint in there. And then when I'm walking up there, periodically I'll smell the mint as I'm walking up. Ooh, yeah, you'll crush it with your feet. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. that's, and it probably helps with some mosquitoes. Right, yeah. That's it, a yeah. great idea. Yeah, it worked great, but but I do have to admit it it died out. It it didn't like it didn't like that minimal foot traffic even. And uh, now it's kind of become a I don't know how to describe that area. It's not much, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, one other blunder I got down, you guys, um, is uh, mulching your vegetable garden. Right. So a mistake I've done in the past that really can keep a lot of people from wanting to vegetable garden is because it's work, right? And weed pulling is work. Watering, I think, became the big issue with me. I'm a stickler with, we need plants where you don't have to water so much. We need to save our water supply, blah, 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 right? And But we also want to eat. Right, but we also want to eat. So I'm like, this vegetable gardening, heck, I can grow a tomato, but how much water did it take me to grow that tomato? So I would set up my sprinkler and no mulch at the base of my plants, and I'd water them, and then literally one or two days later, I'd have to do it again, set up the sprinkler, and uh, people would say, well, just use drip. Well, of course, folks, this was back in the 80s. We didn't know this stuff. Um and, and the plants would get diseased, um, wouldn't produce very well. And I was a slave to the weeds um, as well as the watering where I just kind of threw my hands in the air and said, I'm done vegetable gardening and, and really didn't vegetable garden for 10 to 15 years. And I can tell you our cohort, Justin Evertson, if he's listening to this, Justin knows this because he gave up gardening too because of the water demands and didn't have time for weeding. Uh you Guys, know. we're all busy planting your garden. Sometimes ours suffer just a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, so now I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the mulch guy. I remember reading, there's, they called her the mulch lady, and she would just plant her potatoes like a little divot on top of the soil and then bury them in 12 inches of straw and let them grow up through that straw. And then she would keep adding straw as the tomato uh, potatoes would grow. Yeah, I, I remember helping you do that when yeah. I was your student, Um 
in our what was is it was it like a community garden on campus that you had a plot yeah, yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember helping you put down all that straw and it was like we were restocking a horse's stall or something. Right? It was we strawed that garden. Right. And I remember that very same garden. The blunder was I accepted straw from somebody. I said, Hey, what are you doing with that straw? And she's like, Oh, you don't want that straw, it's full of weed seed. And I was like, Yeah, actually I do. And what's the weed? And she goes, oh, it's downy brome and some foxtail and things like that, crabgrass. And I was like, yeah, I still, I do want it. And I think she kind of thought, okay, buddy, but you're crazy. Well, anyway, I, I mulched the tomatoes and peppers and whatnot, and I was sharing that garden space with another cohort, Christina Hoyt. So Christina calls me. It was her weekend to garden, so she calls me at home and goes, Bob, we've got like thousands of little baby, I don't know what the grass is, but thousands of little baby weeds coming up. Like, uh, what are we going to do, right? Should I go, should I spray them? Should I, no, no, don't spray them. Because of that blunder that I learned before, you're going to accidentally spray your tomato plant. You're going to hit the non-target. And I said, don't worry, I'll take care of it on Monday. So when I got in there on Monday, I just broke out the same weedy straw and buried those little tiny half-inch seedlings with four inches of mulch, smoked them, toasted them. And then if new seedlings came up, guess what? I just buried those too. And so in other words, I didn't let them get big enough. I let them, you know, I smothered them when they were small and that made all the difference. No weeds. I planted a whole wheat crop once by using some straw that yes. <laughs> must have had some seed heads yeah. in it. But you know what? It didn't hurt anything. It was kind of funny looking, but, um, and it never, like, it's not like I grew wheat, right. but that's what it was. And it was fine. At first, you panicked, though. At I'm first, sure. I panicked. Yeah. I thought for sure I'd just planted brome bring? or crabgrass yes. all over my yes. garden, and then it turned yes. out to just be little weeds. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's a huge one, though. Um, you know, you know, mulching and remulching, and then mulching your tomato plants, and not and and a lot of that came from experience too. I remember asking a fella at the farmers market because I'm like, okay quiz your farmers when you go to the farmer's market. So how do you grow such good whatever? And if they're not busy, especially, right? You hit them at downtime. And they'll visit with you on what what they did. And this one guy said, well, I said, how often do you water your tomatoes? Because they have awesome tomatoes. They bring them, oh, we don't water. And that's what kind of opened my eyes. And what do you mean you don't water? Oh, no, we, we mulch thick when the spring rains are there to take advantage of those spring rains to build our root system. So when July and August comes around, we're not having to water because that top watering and that watering, that in uneven watering is what produces the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, blossom end rot. Yep. Boom. Yeah, I made a big change in my vegetable gardening when I had a soaker hose and, and I bought it to establish our perennial beds because I don't like coming home from work watering plants to go water my right. plants at home <laughs> um, and then I was done establishing perennials and so I ran it through our vegetable garden and I thought oh yeah this is going to make my watering life easier which it did but it's um, hugely improved the actual vegetables I'm growing because they get steady predictable water instead of whenever I happen to feel like it and for however long I happen to stand there with the host. Sarah's out there watering her babies. They're all wilting, going, you know, it's like, oh, sorry, I should have got you yesterday. That's not a joke. That's real. (laughs) You guys are making me feel bad for my vegetable garden. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, so what I do to prevent that, that mistake is, 
you know, when straw, when you find straw, you know, and a lot of the box stores and whatnot have straw available in the fall for your Halloween decorations. And I just keep my eye on that pile and, uh, you know, go buy five bales at once towards the end because their price will go down once Halloween's over, you know. And sometimes they'll have them sitting out in the weather where they get really wet. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll make sure I go into spring with at least six bales of straw. And then when I'm ready to mulch, I always have a steady supply. So I've only seen like pictures of parts of your garden, but how big is your garden? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what is the garden right now? My vegetable garden's not huge, but you're talking about the whole Well, how big is this area where you would put straw? I just want to give people an idea. Six bales of straw. Right. right. I don't think they believe how deep you really put the straw. Yeah, right. And and, and it'll break down over time too, right? So you're adding a new layer. And oftentimes what I do, you know, that I would say my vegetable garden space, you know, it's in pieces. So it's kind of hard to judge how many square feet it would be. I don't know, a couple, 300 maybe. Um, yeah, and, and so what I do is, is oh, how much rain did we get last night? Oh, an inch and a half. Some people are saying it's a good day to pull weeds. I'm saying it's a good day to put mulch down because last night's rain penetrated the mulch I already had, right? I want to take advantage of that rain, so I'll add more that night because it's too wet to do this or it's too wet to do that. Not too wet to put mulch down. But you're pretty much just like trapping that new moisture in. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, and and when I say mulch, you guys, I'm thinking about like, okay, if I'm mulching my eggplant, my peppers, my tomatoes, my cucumbers, my whatever, I'm also doing it to prevent soil splash when we do get a heavy rain and that'll get the, uh, the, the soil-borne fungus on your leaves and that's where it all starts. So that's another thing I do is, oh, don't plant your tomatoes in the same location year after year. Um, well, if you put straw down, you don't have to worry about those disease problems. I replant my tomatoes because I don't have an option. You know, I can move them around a little bit, but I got a confined space, right? Where I can't move my tomatoes 50 feet from where I had them last year. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I bet Hannah's similar with her raised beds. And our vegetable growing space is, it's like a natural raised bed. It's the top of our retaining wall that runs along our driveway. Um, and so it's this long skinny section and I've got a lot of herbs and perennial foods in there already. And so my my place to plant my peppers and my carrots and things that I replant every year, there's not. I don't have the option to flip-flop it. It is what it is. The peppers right. go in front of – or right. the carrots go in front of the peppers. The onions go behind, and that's where they go. Right. Uh, but that I do the same. I mulch to keep – and also then, you know, that soil splashes up on the fruit. and right. Can, that's where annoying. you get those yeah yes it, yeah i can eat my strawberries right out of the garden <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing more fun like you're raised bed it's not that case but when you're out there tinkering in the garden your tinkering should be i'm harvesting that's my work is like i'm tired of harvesting oh woe is me but to go out there and harvest in your bare feet on that nice soft straw mm, nothing better because they don't feel like you're tromping things right yeah. i'm just stepping on my moist straw and yeah everything's good yeah, I um, had to protect the strawberries because Silas has learned, well, he knows where they grow for sure. And he's learned that the red ones he can eat now. And I don't want to be there policing them all the time and be like, no, you got to wash that strawberry. Right. <laughs> I, I want him to be free to go pick it. I think that's really exactly. fun. So if I can keep them cleanish to start with, 
then I don't have to worry what he found. Yeah. And what I mean by layering is I'll start like, okay, you, you plant your little baby peppers or your little baby tomato plant, and it's maybe only four inches tall. I'm just putting a light layer down. But as that tomato gets up to a foot and a half, whatever, a foot, foot and a half, then you add another layer. And then all of a sudden your tomatoes are two feet high, and I'll add another layer. So I'll just keep adding a little bit, and it doesn't become it's not a, a lot of labor you know it's pretty easy to grab a bunch of straw and just throw it down and i've even used last year's leaves and that look is doesn't look as nice you know to the eye so i'll often put leaves down and then cover it with a little bit of straw just so it looks more i don't know just something about straw in a vegetable garden that looks cool versus oak leaves mm-hmm. you know do you want to bring us back bring us back hannah we're getting on a tangent here <laughs> well that's quite a few garden fails which i hope gives everyone who is either new to gardening or even a veteran gardener some hope for their own gardening because bob sarah and i have all been at this for different lengths of time but we all have been equally successful and equally blundered at times so it just is what it is and it's part of gardening and i don't know what person with a hobby or something that they're passionate about would say they do it 100% correct every time. So don't feel bad if something goes poorly. There's always next year, which is what I like about it. Amen. That's that's the beauty of gardening is anticipation. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I swear she wrote that song for gardeners <laughs> rather than the ketchup bottle, right? <laughs> <laughs> you remember that commercial? Yes. No, well, oh, but okay. I don't know that commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's Sorry. before you guys' time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it was a song by Carly Simon called Anticipation is Making Me Wait. Well, anyway, the ketchup when you're waiting for it to come out, that was before the squeeze. Right, the glass bottles. Yeah. 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 Yes. Uh-huh. yeah. We were both born post-plastic ketchup bottles. That's right. That's right. Uh, Sorry, Bob. I'm the old one here. What can I say? Uh, yeah, that's fine. All right. Well, with that, we will move on. Um, I do have one more thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm glad that Bob's here for this. On Friday, because this is coming out on a Monday, on Friday we announced our big news which is that we're building a new greenhouse we're basically we're buying bob a new toy yeah (laughs) it's an expensive toy it's an expensive toy we're buying all of us a new toy we have been operating out of a greenhouse um not even near our current shade houses that we use for many years in Mead, Nebraska, for those of you who are listening outside of Nebraska and we are finally at the point where we can build a a new production greenhouse next to our current shade houses so that our production will be a little bit more efficient. We hope it'll save us time. It'll save us money on gas of driving back and forth and just will help us be better connected um, to the campus, to students, and also to our, to the, the customers that we want to work with and the, and all those folks working on projects throughout the state. However, we need your help. That's where we're coming at you from. We have raised about $114,000. We're very proud of that, but we need to get to 140. So if you can do the fast math, that's a little over 25,000. It's about 27,000 that we need to raise. Now, here's the catch. We need to raise it by September 1st. 
So if you are willing to help us get to to that $27,000 goal, we would really appreciate it. Help you. Now you know Bob. He's a fun guy. So give him his new toy. (laughs) (laughs) So that we can grow more plants. Uh, one of the things that this greenhouse will help with is our Bloombox program, especially as we want to make it um, something that is more sustainable within our own system. Right now, we rent greenhouses to do the Bloombox spring and fall preparation, and it would be great if we can do it in our own greenhouses. That's a goal that we have. So if you want to help with all of that, you can go to our website, plantnebraska.org slash donate, and you can give directly to the greenhouse campaign. $5, $10, $5,000, whatever you want to give. We'll be happy to have it. Um, We would just love your help in getting that last 27,000 that we need by September 1st. So if you've been enjoying the podcast and you enjoy Bloombox, that's one way you can support us in in the programs that we do at the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate that, Hannah. And I think, you know, it's a grassroots endeavor, you know, and so everybody out there saying, oh, I, I can't afford it. We're going to grow grass right? in it. <laughs> With roots. <laughs> oh, maybe we need to name our greenhouse, the grassroots <laughs> roots endeavor. No, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that's the way I look at it is more people contributing a small amount means a lot more than a few people contributing a lot. Now, of course, if you have that 5,000 sitting in your back pocket, we love you. Uh, but uh, don't feel like your $5 is not going to make a difference. 10 bucks, 20 bucks, you know. Just think of it as, well, I went and I'm, I skipped my coffee this morning. I'm going to donate that to the statewide Arboretum, right? Yeah, we'll take it. You we love it. it. And you'll get you'll get updates to anyone who um, donates at any level. So $1, you'll get regular updates once we start construction, which we really hope to be in construction by the end of 2022. So you'll get regular email updates and you'll be invited when we cut the ribbon and open it up. Now, the fun part about that ribbon cutting is that it'll probably be February. So you'll want to get in that greenhouse. Right. <laughs> so it'll be much warmer than everything It's going to be heated, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, we really would appreciate your help. Um, and like I said, it's a great way to support both the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum and all of our programs, Bloombox included. So thank you everyone for listening. You know how to get a hold of us. Send us your questions. Also rate and review us anywhere you're listening to this podcast. We would appreciate it. And of course, if you enjoyed your time listening to Bob, check out his radio show on KZUM. Uh, You can find it online if you're not in their broadcast area here in uh, southeast Nebraska. And it's called How's It Growing with Bob Henriksen. You'll find it on there. It's right on their website. Otherwise, it's on Wednesdays. So check it out then. So thank you, Bob, for joining us. We You're really, welcome. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. All right. Well, Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. <laughs>